Hello, welcome to the Gab and Jules show. No Gab today because he's in Italy. So look who's come down. You say he's on holiday. Yeah, he says he's not really holiday. We're not really sure with him, but he's just not here. So I'm delighted that Nathan Munoa is joining us. Because loads of things happened this weekend. Everywhere in Europe, we've had the Double Italia between Juventus and Inter in, in Italy. We've had Barcelona struggling in Spain. We had the PSG Monaco that was amazing on Friday night in France. We had Garnacho's goal, one of the goals of the season already. And we had a big clash in the Premier League as well, Nathan, mm-hmm. between Manchester City and Liverpool. That's where we start today with Saturday lunchtime. It was always a big game because they are really the two best teams that England have seen in the last five to six years, let's put it that way. With a bit of hindsight now and having a bit more time to analyse the game and everything, how did you see it happening? Um, So before the game, it's obviously a big game. Coming straight after the international break when all the players have been away, for me, it never felt like it was going to be as good a game as it would be if they were in the general flow of a season. You know, because they didn't, how long did they really all have to prepare together? For them, it's probably a day and a half two days tops like the managers can have a plan but they don't have two weeks to prepare it as such so the game is going to be a bit different so at times you probably have to rely upon experiences from previous games trying to understand the tactics and so on and maybe they did something a couple of weeks earlier but still the moment's here now and an early kickoff they tend not to be great in the Premier League at this moment I don't don't know why that is but City I think they'd won 23 home games in a row is it that's right which is crazy to think about and who's the team that had the record before Sunderland of course we all knew it was going to be Sunderland yeah, 24 back in the end of the 19th century that's yeah fine. so you're, you're kind of comparing potatoes and tomatoes a little bit this is true this is, this is very very true but City went out there and I think I would have felt more confident if they would have had more players available Okay. Because then they would have had more options, and so as you I looked, mean no stones, no st- stones on the bench, but even stuff like Kovacic, Nunes, Grealish. You yes. know, you're talking about further down the road, like a De Bruyne being in there. You could see that the team that City put out, in my mind, was going to be the team that was going to play the majority of the game. I know Guardiola doesn't love making substitutions, yeah. but sometimes if it calls upon it, he will do it if he's got different options on the bench. I think we've seen that across some of the bigger games this season. But he didn't have that. And for Liverpool, they arrived second with a chance to go top, but without a great record at that stadium. So they go behind. City were playing well. Obviously, Liverpool had the, their chance the as well. The that we didn't see City having away at Chelsea, which was a different game. Yeah. They had it this time, right? Yeah, they did. And some of that's to do with the fact that they're playing at home. Some yeah. of that's to do with the fact it's a different matchup. Because I think what... Even though we'll discuss Chelsea, and I think they're imperfect, I think they're very much a front foot side. Yeah. They're a side that wants to have possession, and two sides that want to have possession are going to try and do just that. They're going to play in ways which sort of help them and hinder them. Whereas I think for times for Liverpool, they can be really organised. I think some of the best games I've seen from them this year have been when they've been down to 10 players. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. you know, they can be organised but then still have a threat on the break and so on. Yeah. So I was concerned by, say, what Liverpool could do, and I knew that they had the opportunity to make changes as well within the game which would go with the ebb and flow of how it was supposed to be. And I know they were missing Robertson and so on, but that's a, still a very strong Liverpool yeah, side. Very strong. So I think for City, they managed to control the game in certain ways. They didn't play their absolute best, but I think most people after the game felt like City probably would have deserved a win. Yeah. But that's not the way football works, is it, Jules? It's not. And to be fair, I liked Liverpool's character in a way to come back into the game. Darwin Nunes had a couple of chances, maybe in, 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 in the game where Liverpool had a good patch and they moved the ball well and then... Salah made something happen. I never thought, however, that City would consider goal coming from the more dense area in the pitch, which was that sort of like yeah. midfield third, if you want, yeah. where Trent 
controls the ball and yet the control and the shot are like it's very quick, quickly yeah. bam but still I, I was a bit disappointed by the way of considering that goal I I think in the end City could feel like maybe there was a couple of chances in that second half that they could have taken and, and won the game and if they go 2-0 up I think the game is over mm. and when it's still 1-0 against a team like that you always left yourself a little bit yeah. vulnerable it's true but this is, I think this is the way football works like there are times when you think you deserve something and you don't get it in times where you don't deserve something and you do yeah, yeah. but I think the character you mentioned about Liverpool is very much there and I'm not surprised by that given the fact that you know, you said before that for the last five, six, seven years, these two teams have been the best teams overall in the Premier League. They have an ability to be able to go on the road and have big moments, have step up and have like the Alexander Arnold moment. You know, for yeah. him to step yeah, up yeah. and score there, yeah. especially in front of his own fans. You know, some angry City fans yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's big for them, and it's not to say that the game didn't matter because of course it does. Yeah. But there's going to be a far different feel when they play the next time at Anfield, and at that point there. If those two teams are still in with a title race, that's a huge Closer advantage. The, yeah, yeah, that's a huge advantage to Liverpool, especially because City have no record there whatsoever. The other big thing, of course, is Erling Haaland's goal for City, which meant that he reached 50 Premier League goals 48 in 48 game. games. The old record was Andy Cole, 1565. So it's not just that Haaland beat the record; he's just destroyed the record. Yeah, and we've talked many, many times about him since he arrived 18 months ago or so. Um, are you still surprised that he just keeps going and going and going? And no, do you know what? I'm not. I'm not surprised. And you know, some people say, "Oh, he's scoring penalties as well." Andy Cole didn't get the chance. Well, he didn't take penalties. Yeah. That does matter. Again, two different eras as well. I think you just decide what you like and what you don't like, and you can make a case either way. But I'm not surprised. And I think the reason I'm not surprised is because you can see that he has a real love for football. Yeah. You can see that he has a love for his teammates and just being involved in those big games. As you looked at the international break and him coming off, well, sorry, not coming off, but pulling out for the Norway national side. I was thinking, there's no way he misses his game against Liverpool because I think he's got a bit of like amateur within him where he just wants to play in the biggest games, just wants to be out there under the lights and playing, as I say, against some of the best players in the yeah. world. He has this sort of love for football, which you can see from the way he celebrates, the way he plays. There's some of the disappointments that he has and some of the highs that he has. So when you're like that, you want to play and you want to get better. And in that team that City have, You've got all the potential in the world to do so. I think the numbers, 50 goals in 48, is freakish. But he'll also know that he could have gotten that a lot quicker. Because I think as it stands yeah. this season, I think he's missed the most big chances in the league. And that was the same last season as yeah. well. So here's a 22, 23-year-old who's already broken that record, who's desperate to get better. And why would you not get better when you've got so much love for the game? No, that's true. That's true. So we took a bit more about Haaland, the record, and... We continue in the, the deep analysis of the game on the Gab and Jude podcast, so make sure you listen to it. I think it's really interesting on, on Haaland, Nathan, what you were saying about the, the, the chance conversion, the big, the big chances missed. Every striker will miss. Nobody, nobody has a 100% no. record. It's impossible. Not Cristiano, not Messi, not Kylian, not Haaland, no, nobody. Um, he has scored 50 of 41.5 XG. I, I looked it up this morning. So he's slightly above what you would expect him to score, but not... Yeah. It's not something not sustainable or anything like that. He had 170 shots for those 50 goals. Only 10 of them were outside of the box. So clearly, which again, there's nothing new in here. We know this. He will be there in the box when the ball comes in from a Ake mm -hmm. at the weekend, from a Grealish cross, from a Bernardo ball, from a Foden, anything. Um, he has 0.24 XG per shot. 
I don't think people realize, which means that, okay, it might be in a very good position because this was City do, they are the best team in the world, so they would create quality chances for him. Not like if he was a Sheffield United striker, no offense to Sheffield United, but do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. However, every time the ball leaves his foot, he's got one chance out of four to actually go in and he, you know, he, he should go in. Yeah. It's great, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's, it's very, very remarkable. And you know, a lot of it could go down to say the delivery and the mm. play to get to that point. But then there's something about him, how he creates opportunity as well. Like the goal against Liverpool, it's a great first touch. An instant finish, yeah. You know, and he has that about him. He's got this ability. I think, as we saw a couple of weeks ago in the Manchester derby, where he puts himself into the right areas. And I think what works well as well from a City standpoint is the other players. Even though they were very good at playing without a nine, and then obviously the years when he played with Aguero as well, they're good at seeing. Well, if Haaland goes to the back, I'm going to go to the front, and that person going to the front draws someone else. Yeah, yeah. So then they can have the opportunity to have him in the dangerous areas with a matchup that maybe he likes. But he's got he's got a certain level of instinct in terms of how he plays, which you can't necessarily coach. You could say to someone, "I'll just try and put yourself in this area," but he seems to yeah, be in the right area yeah, all the yeah. time. And it's it's an interesting one because he has had a lot of shots and he scored a lot of goals. But he has missed a lot of chances. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's something that he can refine because I think the comparison now, say Harry Kane scoring a lot of goals, but I think Harry Kane's conversion rate is just a little bit higher. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a bit technically better, but then he's also seven, eight years older. Yeah. You know, so I'm all for a player that, that that's that young that can create those opportunities for themselves, and has that desire. Their head doesn't go down. You know, you get frustrated if he misses some. But he carries on. He has that drive. Yeah. And I think some people sort of cave in when they don't score some big big chances. But he knows they're going to be more to come. And I'm sure he's working day in, day out to make sure he takes them. If we look at the goal again, Alisson has the ball actually in his hands, looking to play quickly to Salah, almost a diagonal that we've seen them playing. So this is clearly something that they work on the training because for years and years, they do it. Yeah. They, they do it. So the first surprise, I guess, is that Alisson miskicks the ball, like mm -hmm. flukes the ball completely, mm -hmm. right? As a defender then, if you're uh, from the right, so if you're Trent, Matip, Van Dijk and Timikas, in your head, when Alisson has the ball, you know exactly what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. You know he's going to play long to Salah, so you know that, that transition that yeah, transition is coming. Up, yeah. So your mindset is what? Your mindset is like, let's push up, right? Let's get out quickly. Yeah. So you, then you see that the ball goes actually to Nathan Ake. Do you have to then readjust very quickly on what your first thought, your, your mind was telling you to do first? I think it, that's a good question. I because think just before you go, it looked like they're in, a good, they're in a good position, all of them are four, and yet neither Matip or Van Dijk picks up Haaland, who has the time to, it's a great ball by Ake, don't get me wrong. Mm. But in a way, it's, it's easy for Haaland between Matip and Van Dijk to go and finish. So is it because they had to change their mind about, okay, we're going to attack now? Oh no, actually we're not. Yeah, I think transitions themselves can be quite tough to defend against sometimes because not everyone instinctively just puts themselves in the exact right position for that particular moment. And then as well, the stuff that's subconscious, a ball dropping to Nathan Ake feels different to a ball dropping to Jeremy Doku. Yes. And it's not to disrespect Nathan Ake because you, you can do it like we saw him do yeah, it. Yeah. But it's different. There's a, there's a sense of alarm and sense of urgency. That's why when some people get the ball, two people fly over for a 2v1. Yeah. But other times it's like, no, it's okay, I've got this, leave me 1v1. And I think they did get caught out in that moment. But then that's something that, say, always goes against defenders in some, some manner because attackers, more often than not, you can't necessarily just stand by them all the time. And in transition, some can really benefit. I think um, 
an example really in sort of a loose transition you see Anthony Gordon's run that led to I think his his goal he makes like he's he's not being marked by someone then he's free to make yeah, a yeah. run and he makes the run and go and does what he does I think that's the nature of defending sometimes you can't necessarily always be touch tight but you can do better and I think for them they'll look at that goal and say it was probably preventable from the initial kick from Allison to the fact that, as I say, Haaland's able to be able to put himself in a position to affect you. I find it really strange, however, that Van Dijk and Matip can let Haaland with that much space on the edge of their own box. Yeah. Regarding on where the body's coming from, where the... It's communication. Who, who, communication. There's also, to go back to what you were saying earlier about Haaland not just opening spaces for others, but Julian Alvarez is actually quite close on the edge of the box to Haaland. And part of me is thinking maybe Van Dijk Maybe maybe Halvarez should have been picked up by a midfielder, so a McAllister maybe. or Jones. Maybe so then maybe if if you Van Dijk and I can see you and I can see I can Van Dijk can see Haaland in front of him can see Aki there and can see Alvarez in the corner of his eye. So he's got uh, which is very difficult, but he's one of the best defenders in the world. So, but surely he should read the priority, which is not Alvarez here, mm. but the ball might come from Aki even if it's. A piece of skill that we're not really used to seeing Ake doing is possible. So here it is. I can't leave Haaland. And then by the time he reacts, it's too late. The ball is yeah, in the back of the net. It's true. I think um, when it comes down to defending, there's lots of games of cat and mouse. And is this the right person to go to or is that the right person to yeah. go to? And I think when you play against City and some of these better sides, they always ask you those questions. But one thing you can't do is do nothing. Yeah. You know, I think that's the danger. If you end up being passive then you know you've got no involvement in the game I remember years and years and years ago I was like when I was playing I was I thought I was defending and everyone else was running around and someone said oh come on what are you doing find someone and it reminded me because I thought I was in a good position find someone to mark find someone to yeah. like go and mark because then I realized like I wasn't actually doing anything <laughs> I felt like I was in control of a situation yeah yeah but there's no situation to control yeah are you affecting the opposition and the decision making if the answer is no then you're doing nothing you know, if okay. you are closer to Haaland and you're tied to him, maybe they won't try and play in the ball. You know, if you drop off loads, maybe they'll play in the ball short and it's not as dangerous. Yeah, yeah. We have to engage, but again, football's one of those things, there's so many, mis there are more mistakes made than we think, but more often than not, because you don't get punished, nobody sees it, nobody notices it, and you can move on and feel like everything's fine. And it, like Alisson, for example, yeah, if that yeah. wasn't a goal, we wouldn't even remember the fact that he just miskicked one, but I, I know exactly where you're coming from now. So we said Liverpool showed character to come back, to, to, stay, to be fair, to stay in the game in the first place. Uh, they had a couple of scares because Alisson also had that poor ball yeah. that, Foden, that Foden got in the first half at nil-nil that probably should have been a goal for City. Yep. Uh, they had some chances, Darwin missed one, the header especially yeah, yeah. in that first half. Yep. Uh, where do you stand on Darwin's progression <sighs> in the sense that his second seasons have always been better than the first ones at Benfica, uh, Almeria before. This is his second season. Sometimes you see him, you, you want to believe that he's not far from like being, being the, the kind of Erling Haaland of Liverpool. Yeah. And yes, yeah, sometimes you see some of the, the, misses that he, the, the chances that he misses or the touches that he misses as well. Yeah. And you think, wow, okay. I think with Darwin, you see his ceiling and you know what he can do. And that's the thing that's really exciting because it feels like there aren't many players like him with his speed, with, say, the game against Newcastle yeah. where he came off the bench. And those were two amazing finishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, if I was a Newcastle player, I wouldn't want to see him coming on the field towards the end of a game because he's going to stretch it. He's got the link-up play. Yeah. He's got a level of finesse, but then he's also got a hint of sloppiness in him. Yeah, yeah. 
And that isn't the type of stuff that you need when you're seeing teams who are trying to push for a league title because everything from front to back needs to be clean. It needs to be trustworthy. It needs to be the right person in the right moment. Because if this ball goes into you, you have to control it. Because if you don't, then it's a counter-attack and the team you're playing against, they'll punish it. So I, um, I'm still a believer in him. But then I don't know if he's going to be a guaranteed starter because he wasn't at the start of the season. No, he wasn't. And as time passes, with, say, Luis Diaz's situation being better now, and Jota being a really good player as well, yeah, he can play through the middle. It. Yeah, yeah. I think it asks a question, but I think what Liverpool have here, in my opinion, with Klopp as well, is they have a front three of, or say front three, you've obviously got Salah who's going to play every single game, but he's got a variability of his strike force because he could bring in Gakpo, he could bring in Jota, could bring in Luis Diaz, yeah. could bring in Nunes, and whatever the game needs, whether it's a game where it gets stretched in behind, Darwin Nunes is the perfect person for Liverpool. But some of the short stuff I'd go otherwise. So you mentioned that Pep didn't make any changes, which is not the first time, won't yep. be the last one. He feels, and he said it many times, that when his team is under control, what, what would you change something, right? Mm. Fair enough. Klopp, on the other hand, changed five of the front six. So if you had the three midfielders, McAllister, Soboslai and Curtis Jones all started, didn't finish the game. Mm -hmm. And then of the front three themselves, Darwin and Jota didn't finish. Only Salah finished the game, basically. Okay. When I see a Graven Bush coming off the bench for Liverpool, I was like, okay, because he's a profile that they don't ha that nobody else really has in terms of breaking the line, running with the ball. He's so strong, he's yeah. so good technically. I'm like, wow, okay. I don't know if it's better to have him from the start or to have him coming on for the last half hour or so. But I thought that club substitutions and maybe they are always going to make a, an impact because they are Gapco is really good. Yeah. Luis Diaz is really good. So all those players are, are going to bring you something because they are so good. Yeah. However, I thought his substitutions really made a difference in the last half hour of the game. Yeah, I think that's fair. And when you're bringing on the likes of uh, Gravenberg and you're bringing on uh, Luis Diaz, these people who have high energy, who can, as you say, run with the ball. And when it's the last stages of a game, you don't want people who are coming on the field to play yeah. against who can run at you when you're tired now because your decision-making, your ability to make those runs is far more diminished. I think if someone's coming onto the field that's, say, more passive, more of a ball player, you can sort of deal with that in some ways. But when someone will literally take it, see the space and run into it, you know, there's a reason why I say so many goals are scored in the latter parts of games. Because, you know, I say there's, there's an element of tiredness there which wasn't there early yeah. on in the game. And those were good substitutions, and I think that's what Liverpool have with the people they have available. Obviously, they've got like Bacetic and Thiago and other people to come back in, and Andy Robertson as well. Yeah, yeah. But again, that was my concern from a City perspective about Liverpool, because I saw the starting eleven and I saw that they could make changes. Whereas for City, to spin it to them... Yeah, that bench was not as strong. So they were missing Kovacic, Nunes, Grealish. If yeah. you're going to play long-term, we'll say De Bruyne as well. And then those are key players in terms of style of play and a functional change John Stones was on the bench but nobody makes a change for a centre back just no, for yeah. the sake of it in a game so then you're looking at Rico Lewis no one's going to make that change you've no. got Vardy who played for, he was obviously very good but again you're doing it for the sake of doing it so the only person that comes in potentially would be Rico Lewis to maybe go into midfield but is that instead of Rodri would that be instead yeah. of Alvarez would yeah. that be instead of Bernardo Silva probably not and I think in some ways it showed that they are kind of stretched right now because I'm sure we'll talk about Doku at some point. Yeah. But Doku knowing that Grealish is on the bench or Doku on the bench knowing Grealish is on the pitch gives you a different Doku. Oh, 100%. And it gives a different challenge yeah, to whoever's yeah. playing fullback against them. But when you know that if you take off Doku, you're going to bring on someone like an Oscar Bob, who's obviously a very good player. Yeah, yeah. But he's never played this moment. He's not played the biggest rival no, over the last sure. six, seven years. For so sure. it's different. It's different, yeah. 
um, just before we talk about Doku, let's talk about Trent because it's, it always feels those City games for Trent and Liverpool are always quite special. Grealish destroyed him last season, I yeah. think it's fair to say. Uh, a lot of people, I think, make fun is maybe a bit too strong, but we're, you, we they make fun the of men. Him. Yeah, they make about fun of him, yeah. the Doku with Trent. Yeah. So for him to. Okay, at times he struggled against Doku's pace and skill rate, all of that, no doubt. But the impact, and we will talk about Doku, in, in a way, the impact that Doku had directly on the game was okay mm. from a Trent point of view. You know, it's not like he scored three goals and gave three assists. Yeah. And then Trent obviously popped up to score the goal to make it 1 1. A goal that I think is a disappointing one to concede from City, we mentioned it. Yeah. One, because of the area where it comes from, where you have the most density yeah. of players. Two, because I think you can see him run, like coming in for Salah to just lay the ball square. Um, and then the celebration, obviously, is the celebration of like, you know. Yeah, that's Trent Alexander-Arnold. Because it's weird, because like, why do we call him Trent like I we all know. know him? You know what I mean? That gets me sometimes, a little bit. Sometimes, you know, I say Kylian, Erling. Oh, go away. You know. Yeah, sometimes you do. Sometimes I've never, you do. I don't even know the guy. But yeah, but for me, it's like all across the board then. Okay. I'm going to call everyone by first okay. names. You know what I mean? Okay, Matt, so Matt, t- t- tell me the rule again for this show. Just do whatever you want. Okay. Do whatever you want. This is your show. I'm merely <laughs> ah. just a just a. Okay, so sorry, Trent Alexander Arnold. Wait, he um, he's one of those players where his attacking potential is far greater than his defensive potential. Yeah. So as a consequence, if he's do if he's got good attacking outputs, then his defensive side of things can be skipped over. Yeah. And I think in that goal, it's a great touch, great finish. Obviously, City could have protected that area a bit better, but that's his moment. That's the. Not just like Liverpool scoring, that's the Liverpudlian in Liverpool yeah, yeah. who's gone head to head with City across all these years. Like all those years that we talk about City and Liverpool, he's been there for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you look all around the rest of the side, it's not necessarily he doesn't, been the know, same. He doesn't know any other rivalry for sure. That's him. Yeah, yeah. That is him. And for him to score that end, and he didn't even run to his own fans, he went to the City fans with a finger. Yeah. I think there was like some promo for something that came out uh, yesterday in relation to the celebration. Yes. But like, he always has that potential. And. You hope from, if you don't like him, you hope that he just doesn't have that outcome. And overall this season, he's not been fantastic with that. But he stepped up in a big moment. Yeah, it's a goal yeah. that he'll remember, goal that those fans will remember. And then it sort of negates the, the fact that, you know, at times Doku could twist him or anyone could twist him. And the thing for me, like, I don't think he can't defend. I think a lot of defending comes down to desire. And yeah, sometimes, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to always like it. Yeah, which is a weird thing considering football is such a two-way sport. Yeah. But... Yeah, he can do enough, and if he does enough, then he has the opportunity to do some of the things that he does in attack, which no other people can really do. And I think the freedom he has and the relationship he has with Salah means he's always going to be part of the game, no matter how he's doing defensively. Yeah, that's a fair point. Which is, a very, it's a very privileged position to be in, but then he's, you know, he's one of the best talents that sort of England have had yeah. in a very long time. But it's nice when you can just be an attacking fullback and not have to worry about anything else. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, so let's let's get to Jeremy Doku now, especially with the trend, trend angle, the trend Alexander Arnold angle. Listen, I'm just I'm just saying, like no, 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 for some fine. reason, all of a sudden no, it's just no, one understand. one word trend. Sometimes I don't even think about it. You know, uh, listen, it's because you've been brainwashed. Everyone does the same thing. Because <laughs> I think I want to be Trent's friend, and he's not my friend yet. Oh, but you never away, know. Maybe go away, you, you better. Because that. before the game, which is a very obvious one to say, if you look at the key matchup, what, like we always do. Collectively and individually, the one that came up massively, of course, would be the one Alexander Arnold against Doku. Yeah. Maybe more than a Foden against Simicas, although that was a big battle. Yeah. But it, it came to train to Alexander Arnold and Jeremy Doku. Doku's numbers 
are incredible mm. for this game. Okay, mm. I I think we had this discussion before, and I said to you, I still don't think he's ready yet for those big games, as yep. we saw against Chelsea, mm -hmm. in the sense that Pep lacks control, wants control from his players all around the pitch. And right now, he doesn't give you control. He gives you, give me the ball, I go straight at you. I'm an old school winger in many respects. Yep. Well, I go one-on-one, -on -one, and then I do my dribbling, and then I think about what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. However, saying that, Grealish was not there, so Doku was always going to start. I still believe that Grealish would have started the game had he been yeah. fit. I think that. But Doku had 19 touches in Liverpool's boxes. In Liverpool's box, sorry. 19, one nine. Yes, sometimes the end product was maybe lacking a little bit of quality in terms of once he goes to the byline, the crosses, or what to do with that ball once he gets himself into the box closer to the goal. I think he still needs to work on that decision making. But his impact on the game as a threat was just incredible. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I think, as you mentioned with those numbers, that 19, like it, it doesn't feel like a lot, but that's a lot, it's especially a lot. for an individual, and especially considering that's the most protected area of the field. And I think even though he leaves the game without a goal or an assist, and some people said, well, he's a bit sloppy this, sloppy that, the 19 touches means that there's opportunity there for him. And yeah. I think for a player that's young, that's now in the system for the first time, playing with some of those players, as long as you have the opportunity, you can get better. I think his end product and stuff will improve. The more he understands the way the manager wants him to play, you'll still end up in those same areas, but maybe the decision-making will be different. Maybe when he understands his yeah. teammates a bit more, that'll be different. So I think it shows that there is a lot of potential to get better. If he was a player that never made it into the into the opponent's area, and he's just very, very passive, then you'd say, well, what is he, who's he gonna be? But as you see him, there's no way this is the finished version of Jeremy Doku, especially while he's at Man City and he's been there for two months. Yeah. So I'm, I'm optimistic about him. And I think even though it's not the word's not raw, but he's different. He's yeah, different yeah. to the way they play. I think from a city perspective, the fans are very excited by him. And I think there's a level of disappointment, but I I can I'm gonna guarantee, I'm gonna say it's a stupid, I'm gonna guarantee it. The next time he has nineteen touches or more in the opponent's box, I bet he does not leave with nothing. I yeah. think something's gonna come. Yeah, so, yeah. So that in some ways was an exception as opposed to the norm that I think his game will be. And for example, there was a in the build-up of the game on English radio, there was a, a discussion, which is a fair one, about should Pep... Does he need a bit of time to adapt to, to Pep's yeah, style of football? Yeah, I think so. Of City. But then I look again at the rest of the start. He recovered the ball six times in the game against Liverpool, right? Trust me, of all the time that I saw him at Rennes, which was a lot, recovering the ball was not yeah. what he was doing, okay? All the dribbling, the pace that you want, the creativity that you want, but recovering the ball, never. Mm -hmm. On the game on Saturday, the only player who recovered the ball more than him was Rodri, which is his job anyway, and he, he's very good at it. Akanji had six, like Doku. So Doku is your second top player for, recover, for ball recoveries in a game of this caliber mm -hmm. after being in the country for five minutes. Yeah. Which, so for me, in a way, and I think Doku is a very intelligent kid. He comes from a very big football family in the sense that I think his brothers are probably even better than him technically, right? Mm -hmm. But for him to already have grasped the, the sense of when I don't have the ball or when I lose the ball, my job is not just to just do nothing. Yeah, yeah. I, th I find it really... So I think Pep has already changed him in a way. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and 
I'm glad that you've mentioned those stats because it is a two-way game, you know. Yeah, and for City, for Liverpool, stuff like this, like you have to be doing something, even if it's just being in the right area. You don't have to be great about winning the ball back every time, but make the opposition have to do something to try and get the ball past you. Yeah. And I like the fact he's done that, but it doesn't surprise me because if he wasn't doing it, Tell you what, he wouldn't be playing. Even this game on the weekend, even though Grealish was out, yeah. if he wasn't doing it, they would have found someone else to play over there. Yeah, definitely. Just to finish on that, I wanted a word from you on Edison. Pwah, the guy, man. So I think, I was thinking about it yesterday when we, we were both together in Manchester. I think Edison, who cannot play on the field because he just doesn't have the, he's never trained as, a, as, yeah. a, as, an, as, a, as an outfielder. It's different, yeah. yeah it's so different. physically he could not, you know, could not. Yeah. But I still, in terms of passing, purely passing, just don't think about running or anything. Just, I think he's probably better than 75% of the league. More. Easily. More, you think that? More. Because he, what he has, he has the technical ability, but he has the mental capacity to try it as well and to do it. There are some passes that yeah, players yeah. see which they won't try and play. But for him, he sees it, he plays it, and more often than not, it's the right pass. He's not, he's not flustered by the way that the pitch looks. He's yeah, yeah, essentially... Yeah. He is essentially, and we've said this for so many years, but he's essentially like a quarterback because yeah. he surveys the field and he sees the right option and he'll do it when he's ready. He, he won't be rushed. You can try and rush him. He's yeah, not yeah. rushed. Yeah. He's calm. Definitely. And I think it poses a question for the opposition because from years and years ago, you always wanted to go and press the goalkeeper. But when the goalkeeper has the technical ability, the confidence and the vision to play a good pass, why would you go and press him? Because exactly. all he's going to do is just going to break down your team's your team's press. And for Liverpool's press, which is one of the best press in in European football, he undid it completely on yeah. Saturday. There's one ball, if you remember, just before the break mm. for Alvarez that literally, literally, like gets out or takes out, sorry, six Liverpool players. Yep. Do you see the one I mean? Yep, like yep, 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 by yep. the floor, and then Alvarez turns. He's a, is the shot that Foden, I think, has saved Which by Which gets Alisson. saved by Alisson, yeah. yeah. It's just... It's, 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 it's so it's, valuable, right, in, in today's football. You say in today's football, not every goalkeeper will attempt it, not every goalkeeper yeah. will be able to, but when you have a goalkeeper that will attempt to do stuff like that, there's a reason why Alvarez can stay where he stays, because he knows there's a chance the yeah. ball will come to him. But if he gets rolled back to someone who's never going to get it to you, he wouldn't stand there anymore. Right, enough Manchester City against Liverpool. What about some quickies, Nadem? Yeah, let's go, my friend, let's go. Arsenal are the new Premier League leaders, Nadem, after they win at Brentford on Saturday. Is this a good position to be in? You're very happy to talk about this, aren't you? No, um, I'm, just, I'm just asking you. You're just asking the questions, yeah, eh? Yeah, you know, top of the table. Yeah, it's a, it's a great position to be in. I think, given the fact that City and Liverpool played as that first game, if you're trying to chase them, what you want is a draw. And then for Arsenal to go and win a game against Brentford, I know they beat them... Um, at Brentford last season, I yeah. think it was possibly three or four yeah, nil. Three nil yeah. But this game felt different, and to be able to grind out a one nil result under the lights on TV, and to sit top of the tree. The fact is now, even though it's like super early, it's in their hands. Like if you're top, you're top. Yeah. You, for me personally, I know some people say they like chasing. I like the feeling of knowing that my result affects everybody else in that way, as opposed to my result and hoping for other things to happen to go your way. True, but you, we also agree that the lead is going to change again, right? We'll probably change by this point next week, yeah. yeah. There's, there's every chance, yeah. So Jules, what did you make of the derby d'Italia between Juventus and Inter on Sunday? So you know what, I went into that game Sunday night, the big game, made the biggest game in Italy, uh, Interin. The two best, two best teams in the country, there's no doubt. I, I think the title would be between them. Milan uh, have too many injuries. Napoli have changed managers. The two Roma teams, the two Roman teams are not as good. So it would be between Juve and Inter. <laughs> Both of them were in great form. 
And I was fearing a very cagey, like old school Italian of like, make sure that we at least don't lose this derby because there's two points between them two at the top. And instead, the first half was amazing. Really, Vlaovic's goal was great. The Lautaro Martinez, the team goal was amazing. There was a lot of intensity. They were going for it. And I'm like, oh, one, one and a half time, perfect. You know, I should have known better because the second half was a very different affair in the sense that the more, the more you go into the second half and the more you set up 1-1, one, one, the more they start thinking, listen, let's just not lose it now. Mm -hmm. Two points gap is okay for both of them. The gap between then Juve and Milan and the rest is, is decent enough. So they didn't really play that second half, I felt, to go and win, either of them. They had a half chances and this and that, but, but not much. But in the end, I thought it was good. And I think this title race there in Serie A will last the whole season between Inter and Juve. Juve don't have any European competitions. I think Inter will go fine to the Champions League. So that will, that will play in Juve's favour, I think. But yeah, wow. that, this one is a good one. You said it. You, you just said Juve going to win Serie A. That's what you just no, said. Oh my God. I think Inter. <laughs> my boy Marcus Thuram, you know, Paris born and bred women. Ah, Madam, did we see the goal of the season for Manchester United with Alejandro Garnacho away at Everton on Sunday? Yes, it certainly feels that way. Obviously, we can never predict the future, but when you see a goal that most people would never even attempt, let alone score, yeah. the way he connected with it, the fact that everybody you know, was watching it, it's the only game that was on at that time. It's an absolutely amazing finish that, you know, as a child, you, you sort of mess about doing those types of things on a field. <laughs> yeah. But as an adult, you sort of fear for your safety if you ever tried that. I'll break my back. It, it literally, if you do that, you're like, we usually see people drop down like that and they get carted off saying, no, my back's gone. It's an absolutely amazing finish. Because you know at training, I mean, maybe not so much when, because you were a defender, but at the end of training, we always used to do the crosses. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You know, you would do some finish, some volleys, but some headers. You, you would. And some try that. Some try that. But I think what makes this one better was that the ball from Dallo wasn't a good ball because he's gone behind yeah, him. him so Garnacho's had to go behind. Yeah. If, you would, if that ball came in in training and you were somewhat of a clown, you would just throw your hands up and say, what a bad ball, do better yeah. than that yeah, next time. Yeah, or try to control it. Like, You'd be catching that, you'd be jumping yeah. up in the air to catch it. But yeah, I'd shout out to Trevor Sinclair though, QPR in the early 90s Premier League. He hits one like that from the edge of the box, possibly twice the speed into the top corner. Really? Is that your favourite overhead kick? Uh, that's my favourite, because the other one, I'm not going to talk about Rooney scoring yeah, against Man I mean, City. You know, yeah, let's, not, let's, not talk about, let's not talk about Derby. There's days. the Ebra one against England with Sweden, remember? When yeah, scored, scored against goals? my friend Joe Hart. I deleted that yeah, one from true. my memory as well. Okay, what about the Cristiano Ronaldo one for Juventus when he scored the hat-trick in the Champions League final against Atletico Madrid? Yeah, Ronaldo used to play for United, so, you know, all my biases Fine, go there. Okay, okay. <laughs> one, one last one. <laughs> Gareth Bale, Champions League final. It's not as good technically, and it's not... Percent maybe overhead kick. Listen, you've named some absolute bangers in very, very big games. Yeah. And I Rivaldo. hope that, and I and I hope that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Hey, you hat trick to you've qualify for the Champions League. You hey. finish fourth. That's Remember the one. that one. That's the that's that the one. Special. That's the one. Well, in that game, well we didn't see one Rafael Varane. Why is that, Jules? I mean you and I talked about it on Sunday. And it's not good enough, no? Clearly not good enough. He was told that it was tactical reason why Ten Hag dropped him again for this Everton game, starting with Lindelof alongside Maguire. I'm, I'm completely biased here, so as you know, I don't understand how Rafael Varane can be uh, behind Johnny Evans and Victor Lindelof in the pecking order at United, even behind Harry Maguire, to be fair. But that's Ten Hag's choice. And, and they didn't consider goal. They considered chances, but they didn't consider goal against Everton. So unfortunately for my Rafa, I don't think anything is going to change soon.
Right, let's have some more quickies, Nadem. Another game, another goal for Harry Kane, of course. Yeah, you know, he's breaking all the records. And I think Harry Kane going to Bayern Munich seems a little bit illegal because yeah. it's just so good and they're already <laughs> so good anyway. But yeah, he's a, he's a fantastic finisher and he's getting tons of opportunities. And this is what you see from Harry Kane when he plays for one of the most dominant sides in world football. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me. His confidence is growing. He's understanding his teammates and he's got one hell of a supply line around him. But, you know. It's 18 in 12. What I want people to stop now is. Right, right now. If he scores again the next game, people are going to say. It's 19 in 13. Yeah, and they said, nobody has never done. Okay, we know that. <laughs> but we can't have it every weekend saying, like, it's another record. It's not really. It is a record, but it's not. Let's see where he gets halfway through the season and where Lewandowski was and Gert Müller at May half of their best season. Maybe this is just a setup, though. The more you talk about how many goals he scores now, means it's a bigger conversation if he goes through a couple of games without scoring. Yeah. Is, see, never yeah. forget, sometimes people put you on a pedestal to be able to knock you true. down. That's very true. That's so, very Real Madrid are top of La Liga, and it was the Rodrigo show, Jules. Oh, he was so good, Nathan. And you know what? I like the fact that Vinicius being injured uh, until probably February now. And, and when Vinicius is there, Vinicius is the main guy, right? So, Rodrigo has to do with the kind of leftovers. So, R Vinicius loves playing from the left, he can come inside, so Rodrigo has to make up with a bit central, a bit on the right. Vinicius wasn't there, so Rodrigo said, hey, what about I, I can try to play there? And he was outstanding on the left, coming inside onto his right. He scored two goals, set up the third one for Jude Bellingham against Cadiz. Okay, it's only Cadiz uh, away from home, but still, it was just amazing. The dribbling at times was breathtaking. He was just so good, and I don't know, and your your, your past as a player, I don't know if you've ever seen a player that maybe could have thrived. Thrived, you say thrived? Mm -hmm. If another top, top player was doing this. Do you see what I mean? Sometimes I, I watch Rodrigo and I feel, I wonder where he would be in this Real Madrid team if Vinicius was not there at all. Yeah, I think I think that is fair. That is fair. But then also, have they not won Champions Leagues together? No, so. they did, yeah. Yeah, I think unfortunately, if you've got players that want to play the same position, only one can play. Yeah. And when one guy's Vinicius, you know, at times you've got to be Rodrigo. <laughs> yeah. Aston Villa beat Tottenham to go fourth in the Premier League. Nadem, did Unai Emery win the tactical battle against Ange Postecoglou? I think he did in the end, but I think in those early sort of stages, he was getting rocked a little bit. I think the fact that he had to make two changes at half time, in fact, I say had to, he didn't have to. No. The fact he chose, chose to make yeah. two changes at half time so and bring it up. Cash came off. Cash came off. The Abbey came, came off. off. FPL nightmare and on came and <laughs> <laughs> on oh. came and on came Bailey and Tielemans and yeah. I thought they were better in the second half. I think maybe for Spurs, if Bentancourt would have carried on playing, maybe they're more set in terms of how they wanted to play because it's not to be definitive to say that they would have won, but they're more set because there's a reason why they didn't start with Hoiberg, for example. Hoiberg yeah, yeah. and Bentancourt, two completely different types of players, but he made those changes and it made a difference in the game. I think they sort of pounced on the fact that Spurs were also missing two key centre-backs. And in the end, he did do it. It wasn't pretty in its totality, but it's a huge result nonetheless. He's the third defeat in a row for Spurs now. Listen, hopefully it's four by this point next week as they, they travel City, to Man City. Yeah. Man City. I'm just glad that game's not at the Tottenham Stadium, I'll be honest. So I know, I know all the injuries and the, the suspensions. There was no Bissouma either, Saar, no Van mm -hmm. Der Ven Romero, you mentioned, no Richarlison, no Madison, etc., etc. I did feel, though, as well as he worked for the first 25 minutes or so, that it was a bit unbalanced defensively from Spurs, as you know, because we were... But that's what, that's, maybe that's who they are. Maybe they're maybe. just an unbalanced team. Maybe, but then... 
Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You know, because the, the content wasn't bad, yeah. and they created, ch- but they were caught offside because that's what Villa do. Their the trap, their offside trap works really well. The, the way I see Spurs is I'm never going to be seeing them as a team who are going to try and take a 1-0 lead and hold on. I think they're always going to be playing on the front foot. And whether yeah. they've got all their main players there or not, I think that's the way it's going to be. And they'll be open to getting hit on the counter and teams to score against them. Yeah. But, you know, we'll see. Jules, you started your weekend by watching a superb PSG Monaco game, didn't you? I did, and I hope you did too. I saw some of it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I, 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 I had to tune out when the goalkeepers decided to just still be on holiday. Yeah, you I said enough me. was enough. You yeah. said, like, what happened with. Because the first two goals came with two mistakes from Philip Cohen in, in the Monaco goal and from Donnarumma. Maybe. Uh, uh, on the PSG one on the other side but but despite or despite that or around that if you want it was an amazing game I thought two very attacking teams he finished 5-2 for PSG the, the score may be a bit harsh PSG deserved to win but the score is a little bit harsh but we saw Ousmane Dembele with an amazing goal his first one for the club Mbappe scored on a pen Balogun was very good from, from, from Monaco so was Golovin it was great and I think they are the two best teams in France even if Nice are doing well too, they are more defensive side. It's not so much my cup of tea. But Adi Hertha's job at Monaco is great. And for PSG, before Newcastle come to town on Tuesday in the Champions League, it's a, it's a good win. It's a really, really good win. Defensively, they will, I think, always give chances to the opposition, always concede chances. But I, I believe that in most of the games, they can score more than than the opposition so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in for now I'm in for now and what about Newcastle I just mentioned Nadem who smashed Chelsea on Saturday 4-1 and as we said who played PSG on Tuesday yeah it didn't feel like it was a 4-1 type of game to be honest but then this is it it's moments I think at the 61st minute 62nd minute two goals are scored the whole tie changes red card for East James and then you know they, I think they go and get another one and it's not a concern for Chelsea as such, but now they've conceded four goals twice over. You know, we yeah, were talking pre- we were talking previously about that City game with the 4-4, it's a great game, City's defensive weaknesses, so on and so forth. Well, I think overall City kind of regressed to who they were, yeah. but Chelsea then travelled to a tough away spot in Newcastle. And when it went 1-1, I thought, OK, fair play to Chelsea, they're probably going to keep it to that. Next thing, bang, 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 and you're in trouble. Where do you stand? So Pochino was in the stand because he was suspended for too many yellow cards. One of them coming at the end of the City game, remember yeah. when... When he went onto the pitch to yeah, talk about... Yeah, go mad, when his team just got a late penalty to make, to make it for he was He was angry because the rest stopped the game when he looked like Chelsea yeah. were going to be on the counter. No, yeah. I understand. But, so, he was, so I don't know if him being in the stand had an impact on the team on the pitch because they were clearly not up for the races in terms of intensity and aggressive, uh, aggression and everything. But for the first time, maybe this season, he laid into the players after after the game, saying yeah. how disappointed, angry he was, that they were just not good enough, all of that. Is this something that you pick up as a player? And have you been in that position before? Yeah, I think every player that's played has been in a position where they've been criticised by the manager before, not necessarily dependent on the result either, because sometimes you can be when do well, a sort of team can win and be criticised. But I think, do you say he was in a stance? Yeah. You see things differently in the stands. (laughs) I think sometimes being pitch side, you don't get the full scope of what's going on. But you can see a lot more flaws the higher up that you sit. So I think it's fair for them to be criticised because I did not have them losing 4-1. I did not have them capitulating. Even though it's a tough place to go, it's not impossible, especially against the Newcastle side that depleted, that might have had an eye on a... Medium-sized yeah, game, yeah, for sure. In the week against some medium team size, medium size, you said, okay, yeah, something like that. Jules, oh. anyway, <laughs> it was a winning start for Walter Mazzari at Napoli. It was Nadem. They won two-one away at Atalanta. Uh, he was very happy with the first half where they played really well. It was the old Napoli, the one that won the title last season. Kras Kelia was amazing. He scored a great header. 
they were intense, they pressed really well, they moved, they're playing the 4 3 3 like he, like Mazzari, who's a back three guy, has always been, said that he would do. Uh, and they went for it and they were great. And then at halftime, everything changed. Atalanta came back on the front foot at home. Ademola Lukman scored a great goal. And then it was, it was the same Napoli. In the end, Victor Ozimen came on, changed the game. They won 2-1. Two, two, but Mazari said at the end, like, the first half was great. I was very happy. The second half, not at all. So we'll have that to correct. But as starts come, it was a very good second or third debut because that's his first third team there that Mazari could have dreamed of. Mm. Justin Clover uh, of Bournemouth nowadays did something quite special this weekend, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And it's weird to talk about Clover. It's, it's not... It's Patrick, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's, dad, yeah that's of course. Patty Clover. But yeah. yes, he did. He became the second player yeah. to score in all five top leagues yeah. in Europe. This century, yeah, this, this century, this century, because I know you're old enough to remember the other guy. Of course, there are three of them, actually. Who's yeah. the other one you go for? Florin Raducoyu, the uh, former Romania international. Yeah, you he remember it well, West don't Ham, you? For Stuttgart. You remember it well, yeah. Yeah, yeah for... of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the other one, Stefan Jovetic, is interesting because the first time I saw him, I was playing for England under-21s, and it was when uh, Montenegro just gotten their independence, yeah. and it was their very first game was as a nation was when we played them. And there was a guy playing up front, the captain. It was Stefan Jovetic, and he was 16 years old. Was he good? Oh, unbelievable. Was he really? Unbelievable. Don't get me wrong, I didn't get twisted by a 16-year-old. That'd be stupid. But <laughs> he, there was this guy, I said, ah, oh, so this guy will be good then. Next thing I saw him in Italy, and the next thing he was playing for Man City yeah. much further down the road. So that's a nice little stat to have, except for the fact you don't necessarily want to be in five top leagues by the age of 24, as it is for that's Clever. True. Yeah, that's true. And, but, you know, he's playing, he's scoring in the Premier League, so let's not be too down on it. Yeah, that's a nice goal as well. Yeah, for, yeah really very nice, nice goal. Um, we really can't say the same about Barcelona away at Rayo, Jules. No, Ned, nothing really special about that performance. They grinded a draw at the end, thanks to an own goal. Uh, in a game where the first half especially, they were battered. Yeah. But like to a point where... You're actually watching, you're watching the game and thinking like, is, it really, this, is this really what I'm watching? You know, like this is Barca team. And, and Rayo are a lovely team. They play now, especially at home. They, they're very strong at home. They lost to Girona last weekend, but, uh, but they didn't really deserve to lose that game. But they're really usually strong at home. Uh, however, I didn't expect that from Barca. It was so poor. It got a bit better in the second half. They missed some chances. Pedri had 2-1. that he should have at least taken one. Uh, but I don't know if I'm worried. They, Girona will play on Monday night, so we're recording the show on Monday morning. So Girona might go top of the table. Barca are four points behind Real Madrid, who mentioned already before. It's not too bad. However, one, they play Atletico Madrid next, next week. Yeah. And two, there's just not, not much or not enough in what they do with the ball that makes me think. And, and I, I tip them to win La Liga at the start of the season. But I don't see enough every time I watch them, whether it's the Champions League or in the league, where I'm thinking, okay, they're, they're, they're good. This is a good team. They're, you could see the structure, you could see the flow, you could see the rhythm, you could see all of that. I really don't. And Frankie de Jong has just come back, so I'm hoping this will help. Pedri is obviously coming back now. There's no Gavi. I'm just, I'm just not really sure exactly where they're going and how they will get there. That's the only thing. Mm. You know, it's one of those. On Saturday, then we also saw some Frankfurt ultras creating a bit of chaos before the game against Stuttgart. I just, I just didn't think that this kind of stuff still happened, you know? But why did you not think that? So it's in your own stadium. The police is there for a reason, right? And yet, 
all they did was just create troubles and threw flares and fences and I'm just like, why are you doing this in your own state? Well, you should not well, do this it the other way. This, you've said it there because you said it's in your own stadium. For lots of fans, the stadium is theirs. It's not for the yeah, police. Yeah. It's not necessarily even for the players. This is no, your I, space. I this is your home. And I would never say do it myself. But the culture of having ultras at stadiums, especially around Europe, is as common as it comes. Whether it's for teams like Frankfurt or teams who are far smaller. Like, there is a group of people who live and die by it. Yeah. I think you see it across most leagues. We don't really see it in England anymore. But no, you see it across true. lots of... Um, other places and as a consequence if they feel unhappy about something they're very quick to let anyone in authority know that that's the case and in this incident it was obviously against the police and it's yeah, not great yeah. but you know the frankfurt fans it's have got a reputation teams, right? yeah. yeah like football is the main thing you know and if it stays yeah, that way yeah. then um then great and they lost again yeah this is true so obviously everyone listening knows that i didn't write this question so here we go i'm gonna read it word for word Okay, go on. Milan can thank their Frenchmen for their win against Fiorentina. But only one of them is Paris born and bred. So yesterday, you and I were doing a show on English radio with... Great question, by the way. Great question. Yeah, great question. Great I, mean, question. I will come to the question after. <laughs> with Ellen White. The, yeah, the Ellen right. White. The Ellen White, yeah. The record-breaking Ellen White. And you knew her. You know her quite well. I, I've never met her before. So we, we, we introduced each other. We had a chat. And then she said, oh, where do you live? So I said, London. But, but I said, no, but, so, but I no, said, but, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from Paris. And you kind of like said, oh, you, nobody asked you nobody, where you're from. Nobody. Like, I'm just. Uh, nobody before, cares. But before you asked me, oh, where are you from France? Like everybody in this country does at some point. I just thought I get out of the way. So tell you who also is from Paris. It's Mike Manion. And if you haven't seen his save in the 96th minute of this game between Milan and Fiorentina, go and check it out. Because Milan were 1-0 up. Theo Hernandez scored a penalty. The other Frenchman that is not from Paris. Milan didn't play well at all. Fiorentina were outstanding, I thought, in the game. And they're, doing, they're playing so well this season. They created chance after chance. Mike Manion saved everything. And then he came to the last kick of the game. It's a corner. The ball goes to the far post. And Menion moved from his near post to the far post, right? And the Fiorentina midfielder, Mondragora, I think it is, just hit the ball close range and Menion saved it with literally his face. The ball, so, so he went over from, from, from near post. So you post. Parisians have got big faces, yeah? You know, with handsome faces. Just, and we give one for the cause. And it's just an amazing save that gives his team the win. And, and yeah, I just thought we, we give him like... A lot of love for this because he deserves it. <laughs> and in that same game, Nadem, Francesco Camarda made his debut for Milan at 15 years old and eight months, becoming the youngest ever Serie A player in history. One, where were you doing at 15? And okay. two, because this is what Gab says. Gab says it's not reasonable for a 15-year-old to play with men in whatever league it is. It doesn't have to be in Europe. It could be South America. It could be anywhere. Where do you stand on if a 15-year-old should be able. And we saw Ethan Nwaneri with Arsenal last season at Brentford, the, mm. the game we mentioned before, making his debut and then never playing again. So up to date with Arsenal. Um, so shout out to my wife. At 15 years and eight months, that's when I first met her. So, shout out to my wife. Yeah. yeah Big yeah. up Lucy. You know, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, gang, yeah. gang. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really that close to playing. I remember I went to a Youth Cup game, which was an under-18s thing. And I was like one of the players that's left out, but I was brought for experience. 
And one of the guys who was playing actually was Wayne Rooney. He was 16. Oh, and this yeah. was just before he played yeah. in that first game against Arsenal and scored that worldy goal. So I'm not sure about 15-year-olds playing just because I feel like there are a lot of steps to get there. How many players has he gone past to get the opportunity? Is he really the... Or I say he because obviously it happens in a women's game yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Are there other people that are available that are just as good? Or is this literally the best talent that's available at that time? So no, so I don't think he's ready yet to play. I mean, even him when you when you watch him coming on the on the pitch. Yeah, it looks like a child. Did you see? Yeah, and he goes like, yeah. even himself. I don't think can. So believe. why did they do it? I don't know. So he's been amazing for that. He's the he's the prodigy of the academy. Yeah. He's he's been scoring tons of goals since a very young age. Maybe there's a part of it that is a bit of a reward for doing so well, and there's a new contract coming up as well. Okay. Rightly so. There's also the fact that Giroud wasn't there, that Okafor is injured, that Leao wasn't there, that they don't really like Jovic, who has been but then, really bad. How there. about just someone that's like eighteen? Yeah, maybe there is. Although He's already playing for the, the Primavera team at okay. 15. He plays for the under-19 already. He plays in the youth league. So he's, he's there then. Yeah. He's got an overhead kick against PSG or scissor kick against PSG the other day in the youth league. So I don't know. We will see. But I see Gab's point of should a 15-year-old play, play in the top flight and or play in any league. And what's them. his reason for them not doing it? Not ready. In what sense? Mentally or physically? Yeah, everything. Like, everything, in a way. We have people who are, like, in their 20s who are neither mentally nor physically ready to play. So what happens to Kamada now when he has to go back to school? In what sense? Like, like everything. All, all, all the media would talk about him. Everybody wants to talk about him. Everybody would want to take photos, become they've probably, his friend. They've probably been doing this already. You said he's the star of the academy. All that pressure and that expectation was not there two days ago. Right. He, I understand what you're saying, but some of that pressure, it's here now but it might disappear if he doesn't play in the next game, true, two games true. anyway. Yeah, true. And I think to give someone an opportunity, they trust that they know he's ready to be able to understand it. He'll have enough people around him. And the fact that he's yeah, playing yeah. for the Primavera, like you say, yeah. then the Primavera is very close to being in the first team. And if you're a 15-year-old playing for the Primavera, you're already a big star. If you are a supporter of AC Milan, you know who this kid yeah, yeah, is before sure, he's played. Sure. I was thinking he was maybe just an under-16 that all of a sudden has jumped no, three no, age no, groups. No, no. He's the, he's the, like, so we had this conversation with Gab for when Lamin Yamal made his debut yeah. for Barcelona last season at 15. Yeah. And Gab was very like, this, this should not be happening. And I said, I said to him, let's see, because we can only know if it's the right thing for the kid or not. Well, what's when, the we, when, when, we, when we will see how well how or not be, yeah. he deals with it. Yeah. Because he can go into like, this is too much for me, I'm overwhelmed, I'm not coping well mentally with, with all of this attention around me and stuff like that. So what's the right age? I don't know, it's when, when, when one is ready. But what, that's what I mean. But that's what I mean. Some might be really at 15, some won't be at 15. I'm with some you. Will be at, so how old were you? Were you were 18 when you 17. started? 17. 17, yeah. But you were, you were 17 like a 21-year-old, really. Because you were always I was that playing, mature. Yeah, I was. I was. But I was also ready because I was playing for the second team. And I was playing well for the second yeah. team. Which meant that I was training with the first team. And at that point, your age, in terms of playing well, there's having talent and there's playing well. And that playing well can be you at 15. It could be you playing well enough at 22, 23. That's why some clubs keep people so they're a lot older yeah, yeah, before, yeah. They, before they pick them. And I think if we decide to put an age on it, it misses the point. Because if, if Gab makes the, the, the statement that people develop at different rates, then why is there one hard point where all of a sudden, yeah, this is it. You're old enough to come in now. You're old enough yeah, when you're good no, enough. Yeah, it's a fair point. Bayer Leverkusen are back at the top of Bundesliga. And Jules, let me guess. They did it thanks to their wing-backs again, oh, didn't they? Oh, you guessed well. You're oh, so thank good you. at this game. Thank Amazing. you, man. Thank you. Reading, course, reading is my thing, you know. As you know, <laughs> Grimaldo and Frimpong have been 
not the revelations because they were they were very good before, but they've been just outstanding this year and they scored again. Each well, one goal each. It's a three 0 win. The first goal was a non goal. Uh, they are just incredible, and the way Xabi Alonso has this team playing with their wing backs, who are proper proper, mm. well, they, they're probably even more wingers than wing backs really. It's just amazing to see, and they're in the right position. They have that confidence now, so they you know if they take a shot on the edge of the box, they kind of know he's going to go top corner, and uh, so they have also that that bit of luck that goes with that confidence. And I think Ronaldo has seven league goals, which is the the top goal scorer for Bayer Leverkusen. Frimpong is on five or six. It's just remarkable the season they're having so far, and. Well done to them. They were far too good for Werder Bremen. They're still top of the, the table. They've only dropped two points, which were against Bayern. It's, uh, it's an incredible story. And I don't know where Xavi Alonso is going to go. There were rumours in Germany this weekend that he would go to Bayern Munich next season. Because as you know, uh, well, we don't know, but Tuchel yeah. might, yeah, yeah. might not go after this season. Uh, I don't know if he wants to go to Bayern, if he prefers a Real Madrid team, if he wants to come to England. I don't know what next for Xabi Alonso or stay a bit longer. Mm. But we have to say that the job he's doing so far is just incredible. Absolutely. Really incredible. Nedam, did you like seeing Roberto De Zerbi going mad after the Brighton win at Forest on Saturday? Or did you find it disrespectful like it seems a few people did in England? I think um, football can make people go crazy yeah. and they do things which they wouldn't normally do. And that's yeah. not something we normally see from Deserby. Especially when you haven't won in six games. Exactly. And, you know, seeing Lewis Duck get sent off, he's one of the most exper- experienced players at that club and he gets sent off in the way that he does. You yeah. know, football can make you go wild, especially when it's away from home and you think things are being, you're being hard done by going through a tough spell. And the celebration is enormous. Yeah. And some people in England, some people around football, they just want to police people's celebrations and police people's joy. But if they're in the same situation, they do the same thing. And realistically, Deserby's not going to get a bonus point for being really calm and you know celebrating the win no, in a controlled that's true. manner. That's true. His fans will love it. His yeah. players will love it. Yeah. That is their group. And as a consequence, those three points met with that level of passion mean that the next time they're in the trenches, those fans will know they've got a manager who's deeply passionate. Because look at last year. Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea had a Potter and people said, oh, he's not passionate enough. Yeah. Like people want to police everything to do with football. <laughs> Let them do what they I want. Know, Let them you. do what I they want. So Antoine Griezmann was once again the hero for Atletico. Ah, he was, Nathan. They won one nil against Mallorca at home. It was not... A vintage performance, even from him, from his point of view, for for the team as well. We often say it's, it's hard to come back after the international break, anyway. Uh, but but he was there when he mattered the most. It's a heading goal, which he doesn't score that many. It's a great header as well, almost on the edge of the box. The ball comes from the left hand side and it goes in the top corner. It's just, I just think he's an, he's 32 now. So you know, Wenger used to say, oh, I mean, still says it now. That between 28 and 32, or 27 and 32, this is especially for a forward or a striker. This is this is the years because yeah. you understand the game better. The yes. awareness is great. Yes. There's all of that. That maybe as a defender you also have, but as a defender you lose a bit of pace towards the end, right? Yeah, but it's, you, a, bit, yeah. it's a different momentum. Yeah, I, I guess. I think I think that's fair, but. I think these days people are written off quite early as soon as they start approaching 30. But I yeah, think it, not this season, but last season, I think seven or so of the top 10 for the Ballon d'Or award were like 32, 33 years of age because yeah. they fully understand how yeah, the game works. Yeah, yeah. I remember we had that. Deal. Yeah, when you, when you get there and you get it, like it's a fantastic position yeah. to be in, trust me. Yeah, so it's another goal, another winning goal for him. He's getting a step closer to breaking that 
goal scoring record that belongs to Luis Aragones, of course. And I'm just delighted for Antoine Griezmann. And you know who I'm delighted for? Another landmark, is that you said? Milestone? Landmark, landmark, yeah. Landmark. yeah. Is that in that game against Mallorca, Koke uh, uh, played his 600th game for Atletico, uh, which I think is an incredible milestone, as you said. So let's, let's celebrate him because it's not, it's too rare now anymore that you have a, a one-man club. Yeah. And yeah. Koke is very much one of them. Yeah, he, he certainly is. I think there are lots of players that strive to be a one-club man. But yeah. not everyone gets the opportunity. But in fairness to him, it feels like he deserves it. He's been one of their most important players for many years. He's been healthy and he's been contributing. Yeah. He's been a huge part of that culture and character of the football club. 600 games is a career that probably only maybe 10, 15% of all football players will ever get a chance to touch. Yeah, so to do it for that club to be at that higher level... And still to be, you know, from many people from the outside, slept on. Because technically, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, when you think Atletico, like, I'm thinking of Griezmann, I'm yeah. thinking of Simeone. Right, but know. realistically, we should be thinking about the likes of Koke. Know. You know, so he should be celebrated. And at the age, as it stands, of 31. Yeah. You know, how many games he's going to finish on? I'm it's sure. It's, I'm 2009 sure. was his debut. <laughs> 14 years this guy's ago. been busy playing he's football. Bu <laughs> he's been busy playing football. Right, so it was a crazy Dortmund versus Gladbach game on Saturday, Jules. Yeah, so you know with Dortmund, we've established already this season how, how mercurial they can be. You just don't know really what kind of Dortmund you're going to see. They can be amazing like we saw against Newcastle in the Champions League, home and away. Or they can go and just crash out against Bayern and explode in the first 10 minutes. And this game was just one of those that I thought summed up Dortmund so well because they go 2-0 down after half an hour, two goals back-to-back, -back, 28th minute, I think, and 30th. The first one, they're half asleep. The, the second one is a third phase of a, of a set-piece. They, they're dreadful at defending set-piece. And you go, OK, this is one of their day. They're just, it's just off. And yet, they come back. For as bad as they were defensively in those two goals they considered, they were superb going forward for the next 15 minutes, score three goals. Jamie bino and the former... Uh, Manchester City young players, mm -hmm. England youth international, was outstanding for one of his rare stars. Full crook scored again. In the end, they won 4 2. But like, if I was a Dortmund fan, or if I was like Edin Terzic, or anybody at that club, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm not sure I can take this. <laughs> I promise you. No, really. It was such a roller coaster of a game. But they won, and they, they really they needed a win. So yeah, let's see. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch. Sad news this weekend, Nathan, as Terry Van Ebel's passed away at the age of 80. Yeah, that's right. The former England, Spurs, Barcelona manager. He did pass and he is, I think he's somewhat of an English football icon. And for yeah. myself personally, um, when I, the first tournament I really remember watching as a child was Euro 96. And that was with him in charge. And I remember some of the joy that was involved with that football team, the joys involved with the nation at that time. And then, obviously, because it's England, they didn't win it. But... Games against like the Netherlands. I remember yeah, the that four -nil win. yeah that four 0 win was it was massive in the sort of cult, English football culture. And so for him to be passing, you've seen so many people that have written in, have sent tweets out and so on. So much they valued him as a person, as a coach. It's a sad day, but he will always be remembered. Yeah, he went to Barcelona. They hadn't won the title in eleven years mm. in eighty five. The first season after Maradona left. Uh, and and for him to go, he was one of the first of very rare. British or English managers go abroad. Yeah, what a place to go as well. Yeah, as well. Yeah, no, no credit to him. And obviously, all our condolences and thought are for, for his family and loved ones. For sure. But let's try and finish on a happier note, Jules. Andre Ayou made his return to the French top flight this weekend. How did it go? Yeah, remember Andre Ayou, of course, the of brother course of John Ayou, played for West Ham and for Swansea. And 
many other teams. He left Marseille eight years ago and he's coming back now with Le Havre, who are one of the promoted sides. And it was his first game against Nantes this weekend. And he was on the bench, which you expect because he's 33 and didn't really have a proper preseason. He came off the bench in the 65th minute, I think he was. And he was sent off two minutes and 24 seconds later. You, tri- you I mean, tricked come me. On. You tricked me. You tricked me there. Come on. You tricked me there. I thought it was going to be good. Well done, Jules. Well done. Andre, how are you, brother? What is going on here? He went high on a tackle with his studs. Maybe it's the, the excitement to come back home to France, playing in Ligue 1 again, this wonderful league, one of the best leagues in the world, I would say. I mean, two minutes and 24 seconds. Come on. Really? C'est la vie. He's lucky that Le Havre hold on for a nil-nil draw in the way it didn't really cost them much. But after eight years' absence, Listen, that's not he, really the return he wants. He's trying to buy himself more time to be ready for the next game. <laughs> exactly, so exactly. Go. Good trick, Dede. Good trick, Dede, are you? <laughs> Nathan, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, really, to have been coming down today from Manchester to be here with me for the show. We'll be back on Thursday. Gabby should be back where we review, of course, all the Champions League action and some massive games this week, including a very special PSG Newcastle. So that will be on Thursday. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And as Gab always say, love yourself, love the game, love your neighbour or something like that.